From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, Tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Coming to you live today from the 2024 Legata Summit in beautiful Dana Point, California. All of the legates gathering from around the country for some uh, spiritual and professional development here uh, over the next couple of days. So keep uh, the entire organization in your prayers. Very vital work that they're doing in the church today. We've got Father Brian Mullady in the house. If you'd like to uh, be part of the program, pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Two nine eight five. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Ace McKay handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may get to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Thursday, Father Brian Mullady. And Father, I am wearing my St. Dominic socks today. Oh, good. <laughs> so um, there's no standing still. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. And you want to talk a little bit about the uh, conversion, which I think is supposed to be an ongoing process, huh? Uh, yes, except uh, today, of course, the reason I want to talk about conversion is because of the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, one of the most famous conversion in the history of the Church. And um, the result, conversion is basically the result of justification. And what happens in justification, it's an effect of sanctifying grace. God moves the soul, and the soul allows it to be moved itself. Now, of course, psychologically, we tend to evaluate conversion as, first of all, beginning with us, and then God gives us grace. In addition to this, the second effect of grace, which is, in a sense, also part of conversion, and some of what you were speaking of is merit, Well, in merit, God moves the soul, the soul is moved, and then the soul itself, in light of the grace of God, moves the other faculties of the soul to, well, I would would tend to say good works. Now, notice where I put God. Even though we perceive it as being our movement that in somehow is affirmed in eternity, God is always first. 
Even St. Paul says this. He says, why did I receive grace? Well, I really don't know. <laughs> because I was the one that was most persecuting the church of God. And since grace is a divine effect, it's the cause of conversion. It supports our conversion. And what I find very interesting about grace is that as a result, God can either, he's not bound by his effects and their preparation. A good bit of our part is preparing ourselves to be converted. Although, of course, Paul didn't really prepare himself much to be converted. He was just the opposite. But God can either spend a long time preparing the soul or he can do so instantaneously because of his infinite power and love. So probably the most long or the longest preparation in the history of the church that we have as far as the saints concerned would be St. Augustine who spent 30 some odd years preparing himself to receive grace and finally got it. Then you have the preparation of the apostles, the 12 apostles. Now they, of course, had three years to be prepared by personal association with our Lord. And really, in the end, they didn't really get it totally either until the Holy Spirit came upon them. But then you have St. Paul, who, according to um, the way we look upon uh, conversion in Acts of the Apostles has help getting converted because it's Stephen's prayer of forgiveness in Acts that's the occasional cause, the m moment when God chooses to give Paul grace, Saul grace, because Stephen prays for him. And so it's very graphically, if you remember, portrayed in Acts, Saul breathing out threats goes with letters to imprison the Christians or perhaps even to put them to death. And yet while he's on the way to do this, he receives this revelation on the part of God, whether in the third heaven or the fourth heaven, I don't know, he says. And that revelation is in the form of a blinding light. So remember, he has to be led to Damascus to experience baptism. Once he experiences baptism, then he can return, in a sense, to ordinary human life and ordinary human commerce. And also, rather related to this business of conversion, is one of the Protestant problems, which is the certainty of our salvation. So I don't know if you've ever had a Protestant confront you by saying, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been saved? And they look upon salvation or conversion as psychological confidence that God overlooks their sins. Well, we look on it as a process in which we grow in divine life. And so we can't with absolute certainty, unless it's been revealed to us, say, yes, period. Our answer is what Joan of Arc's answer was. You remember, 
that she was questioned during her trial. This is in the catechism. And a trick question was given to her whether she was in the state of grace or not. And if she'd answered no, they would have burned her as a witch. And if she'd answered yes, they would have burned her as a heretic because since this is a divine condition, only God can know, really, in the final analysis, unless he chooses to reveal it to us for some special work like martyrdom, that we are in the state of grace. And she answered, if I'm not, may God put me there, and if I am, may God keep me there. Now, that's the Catholic answer. Of course, St. Paul had it revealed to him that he would experience a, a new mission, which was the mission to the Gentiles. And even though this had been prepared for, even while our Lord was on earth, and then also um, was um, prepared for when people from all generations came to Jerusalem for Pentecost, this still, as you know, it was mostly the Jews that came for Pentecost. The mission to the Gentiles was something which the Jews had great difficulty with. And yet, St. Paul receives this commission in his conversion, again, always at the initiative of God, to be the apostles of the Gentiles, as the other apostles, especially Peter, had been to the Jews. So on the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, we must hold our own conversion to be a result of grace. We can't merit conversion, but in light of the conversion we've experienced, we can merit growth in grace. And our response must always be with Joan of Arc. If I am, may God put me there, and if I'm not, keep me there, and if I'm not, may God put me there. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Or you can always send us an email. The email address is openline at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN's National Catholic Register is America's most trusted Catholic news source with a comprehensive view of the world from a Catholic perspective. And you can actually give a subscription or subscribe yourself and save up to 42%. Simply visit ncregister.com today. 
And you can receive daily, weekly, or alert emails from the register. For that, just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our uh, toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you on this Thursday at 833-288-3986. Father Ryan writes in and he says, What does full of grace mean? Is it applied in Scripture to Jesus and Mary? Oh, um, well, the Lord, of course, has fullness of grace, uh, not not just as a human being, but because he is the word, the divine word of God. So you remember in Christ there are a number of graces. There's the grace of the hypostatic union. No one has that grace except him. And it's in light of that, then, that he has sanctifying grace and then grace he gives of the churches. But Mary is only a human being, and so she is full of grace as far as human beings are concerned. Remember, she has a human person, and of all the human persons that have ever existed, or ever will exist, she is the greatest because she loves God more. Christ is God, so therefore he can't exactly be said to in that sense, love God because he'd love himself then. Uh, instead, he is God. So this is what the term full of grace means. Mary is um, more in grace than the angels, more in grace than the saints and all that. But of course, she's not hypostatically united to the Father. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Steve wants to know if it's within the bounds of Catholic orthodoxy to believe that God is somewhat in time rather than simply timeless. Well, God isn't in time as God, as the divine person. He is in time because he assumed a human nature in Mary's womb. So since it's the person of the word that assumed human nature in Mary's womb, when Jesus speaks in time, God speaks in time. When Jesus touches in time, God touches in time. When Jesus dies in time, God, as far as his human nature is concerned, dies in time. But obviously the Godhead itself doesn't die. 833-288-3986. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833 3986 uh, Michael asks, if God didn't make evil and the devil can't make anything, where did evil come from? Oh, remember, evil isn't a thing. This is a famous insight of St. Augustine's. Evil is a lack of a due perfection in a thing. So the, the evil, physical evil obviously comes from the nexus of causes in nature so that what's one animal's, what would you say, perfection, good, 
is the grass, the evil of the grass, because the animal eats the grass to stay alive. So evil is only evil there because of the way in which matter reproduces itself. Now, if you mean moral evil, that simply comes from free will. And of course, in the way it's portrayed in the scripture, first of all, Satan's the first evil. Remember, Satan was a high angel, probably the highest of the angels, Lucifer. But he chose self instead of God. And because you have a free will, if you can choose good, which is the reason the free will exists, by implication you can also choose yourself when there's a choice between God and you. And that's the origin of evil there. And man reflects this in the original sin because even though he has you know, that marvelous state of original justice, he still chooses self when the uh, option is offered to him to obey God and do so by prayer, by the way, uh, to persevere and uh, to choose himself alone. So what happens is, in the original sin, Adam and Eve, who were created in such a beautiful and wonderful condition of integrity, at the words of the tempter, at the suggestion of the tempter, choose self. And in choosing self, they persevere in that choice to their death. And so God says, okay, that's what you want, self for all eternity and not me, because you don't want to obey my law, and that shows little love for me. Fine, that's what you get. So that's the existence of hell. But the source of evil is either the manner in which material causes interact with each other, or it has to do with the free choice of both angels and human beings. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Diane is in the great state of Minnesota listening on the Amazon Echo. Diane, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Father Brian. How are you doing today? Okay. Wonderful. Um, I, I've just been listening, of course, to all the news uh, lately concerning uh, this upcoming um, nitrogen execution for this uh, this person who's a I guess a convicted murderer. I'm um, aware and, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I'm just really going back and forth. You know, there there are people out there who are just so anxious for this to happen. They're like, yeah, let me pull the plug. Let me be the one to do it. And then you know, then there are others who are just like, well, just wait a minute. You know, this guy deserves our, our prayers and, you know, all of that. And I'm, I'm just really, really torn. I don't know how to feel about all this. I was wondering if you could explain to me the Catholic um, position on the death penalty. Yes, I'll try. Uh, the, okay, neither one of those arguments holds because neither one is based on justice in the state. The death penalty is an attempt by the state to defend itself against unjust attacks unto death. 
you could say. In other words, the people who are capital murderers or something like that, to save the right of innocent life. And just as we look on a policeman uh, or a soldier in war as defending the right of innocent life in our communities, even to the point of causing the death of the assailant, so in the death penalty, the state has the ability under certain conditions from God to make a choice concerning this. But it's not based on vengeance, I wish I could pull the plug, nor is it based on, um, uh, oh, everything is merciful and we should never do this and it's going to be all right in the end and that sort of thing. People that think that uh, incarceration for life will protect life obviously you don't know much about prisons <laughs> and uh, you know a, a person in a capital prison can with a phone call cause the death of an innocent person outside or some hidden manner of communication uh, no the, the state has a right and duty under certain conditions to defend innocent human life, even to the point of causing death. Now, I realize John Paul II taught that. Remember, he said, rarely if ever should be used. Now, I don't know what you think, but I think in a country of 300 million people, to have 50 executions a year, I would define as rare if ever. But Pope Francis wanted to close the door even more. So he just said never should be used. However, you will notice that in neither case do they say it's murder. Also, you'll notice that um, in, in the invocation of the death penalty has to be for the sake of justice and it has to be under certain conditions and it has to be something that um, is, is a result of a duly carried out trial uh, and the defendant has to be given all the rights to prove his innocence that he can. If he can't in some particular case, the state may invoke the death penalty, but it isn't required. And as I say, uh, it's interesting that when even Pope Francis said that he was against the death penalty. You know, they kept the definition of murder. And murder was the unjust taking of an innocent human life. And the word innocent is an extremely important word there. So um, if they're not innocent, well, the door is made open for society to defend itself in some other way, but not vindictively, not in vengeance, not with emotion, and certainly uh, in the trial, we regret having to do this. We don't sit there and think, oh, this is wonderful. Let's just kill more people. So as you know, in, in courtrooms, in the British courtroom, they used to put a black cloth over the judge's head 
and the judge would say how lamentable it was that they had to do this, but that it was required of the law. So it has to be a matter of the law, not of emotion of any kind, whether you're for or against the death penalty, and you, it's not a political decision, let's put it that way, or whether it's a matter of vengeance. God bless you, Diane. We appreciate the phone call. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Brian in St. Louis and plenty of time for your calls as well. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN Radio family, WGIC 94.9 FM in Clarksville, Tennessee is celebrating seven years as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to Deacon Dominic Azara and his great team at Immaculate Conception Parish from your friends here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Brian in St. Louis, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Brian, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, I was reading uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, verses, I think it's 46 through 48, and it's talking about where he uh, has, gives a command for Christians to be perfect. And I was trying to figure out, because the way it's described, it sounds like he's talking about just being equitable or treating people equally, but I think there's got to be more than that to it. Uh, what do you think? Uh, yes, I think you're right about that. Uh, remember, it's be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it has to do with the, the law, you know. So what the Lord is reflecting there is the fact that by grace we're elevated. And this is uh, very well recounted in people like Teresa Babala and John of the Cross regarding the ages of the spiritual life or the seven mansions or whatever to become uh, mystically united with our Lord, much like a marriage is concerned. And so we are asked to adopt the supernatural point of view, God's point of view, while we're on earth, which we could only do by love and which we can only do by his helping us through a rather long period of purification. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're supposed to see the world from a divine perspective. Uh, the way we used to express this in the old times is to acquire the supernatural point of view. So uh, that's what we're asked to do, and that's what the, be the perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect means. Does that help, Brian? Very much. Thank you. 
You're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next stop is the great state of Arizona. Scott is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Scott, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. Hi. Hi. Thank you uh, for taking my call. The question I have is, oh, let me get off Let me get off the phone. Uh, okay. Uh, yesterday I was reading, I think it was yesterday in Mark, for, about Jesus speaking to the disciples in parables, and there was a mention, in, there's a spot in the, in the right after that that says he, some of those will hear and see, but not perceive, and Basically, right, you know, they just won't. Of, yeah, they prophecy. just won't Okay, so th- I was researching that, and I came across something that said Revelation has um, in the Catholic Church. We believe that Revelation Revelation ended with the last apostle. So I started to think, okay, Revelation. If that's the, if that's what the Church believes, then when we have situations like. St. Faustina giving us the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, and, and I know that's not a dogma of the Church, and, and either are the apparitions, but what, what's the real difference between, I mean, is it personal revelation versus, you know, what's the difference between those experiences or apparitions versus revelation in, in, in relation to the Church and the last apostle? The difference is between what's traditionally called public revelation and private revelation. Public revelations are those that are given to the whole church, and they're normally connected to the faith of the apostles. So when we write general councils, for example, ecumenical councils, there's no new revelations in those. But what we're trying to do is plumb what was in the mind of the apostles when they actually said, you know, uh, expressed their faith on Pentecost Sunday. Private and also public revelations are binding on the faithful. Private revelations are given to different people for different reasons. Uh, you don't have to believe in them. Uh, it's nice, it's good to believe in them, but you don't have to. You wouldn't be committing heresy if you didn't believe in them, unlike public revelations. Um, you're perfectly free to embrace them or not. So some people, for example, many people today in the church, have a huge devotion to St. Faustina. Others don't. Well, the ones that don't, there's nothing wrong with their faith. They just don't, aren't particularly interested in that particular private revelation. So that's the difference between the two. 833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Chris wants to know, how could Jesus descend into hell and be separated from the Trinity when the Trinity is one? Oh, um, that's due to a phony translation. Uh Christ went to what was called Sheol, or Hades, which would have been the place where the just went before the gates of heaven were opened on the cross. 
Um, now, of course, Satan, someplace in there, somewhere, way back, way back in the, the outer reaches. But he primarily goes to this place of the dead to bring the dead with him when he rises from the dead. So uh, it's not hell in the formal sense where Christ is separated from God. He's not in any sense separated from God. Uh, nor actually are the people in the limbo of the just or Hades or Sheol. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Pamela's up next. She's in Fort Collins, Colorado, listening on the EWTN app. Pamela, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Jack. Thank you. Hi, Father Brian. Um, my mother My mother is in the home hospice, and thankfully she received an apostolic blessing about 15 days ago. She has a progressively degenerative disease, and she's terminal and the nurses and the doctors say she has maybe just a, a few days left. But my yes. question is, my question is, she received an apostolic blessing. I was so thankful about 15 days ago. She can't receive Holy Communion orally because she can't swallow solids right. anymore. She can barely swallow liquids. Would it be appropriate to ask the parish priest to come again and give her a blessing? Or, or I mean, I don't want to waste the priest's time, um, but is it, is it beneficial for her to have another blessing? Well, if she's been prepared and she's received the apostolic pardon and all that business, it's it's not, he doesn't need to come. You know, the Catholics are constantly plagued now by the fact that before the anointing and all those preparations of the dead had to occur basically around the same time as death. That's why we used to call it the sacrament of extramunction, the last anointing and Catholics were very clear that you basically call the priest when the person's dying, period. That's not true today. It's the sacrament of the sick, and it can be administered any time the person is in a very difficult illness that might result in death, which is what sounds to me like your mother has. And the apostolic pardon once granted there, especially if she's... Um, you know, not able to make a lot of thoughts anymore or have any um, movements, moral movements and things like that wouldn't have to be reimposed. No, once is enough. But Does that bring you some prayers, comfort, Pamela? Thank you. Uh, yeah, prayers can always be offered, of course. So... 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to check out The World Over tonight at 8 Eastern Time on EWTN Television and Radio. Edward Penton of the National Catholic Register will uh, be addressing Pope Francis's address to journalist Cardinal Gerhard Muller with the latest church news from the Vatican and Nina Shea on the persecution of Christians around the world. And as well, they'll speak with Jennifer Hooten Wilson on Flannery O'Connor's Lost Manuscript. That's the world over tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on EWTN TV and Radio. Back to St. Louis we go. Gabriel is also listening on Covenant Radio. Gabriel, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hello, Father Brian. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I just had a quick question. Um, is it okay to... Uh, to argue or debate with 
atheists and non-believers on a particular platform, uh, such as uh, TikTok, get on these platforms, and, and I have discussions and, and uh, um, debates, and I mean, for lack of a better word, arguing yes. uh, with, with people who don't believe and who are atheists. Yes. Well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Uh, you might not affect anything. Uh, you know, in other words, it might have no practical fruit. But uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. There's nothing. It's not forbidden to discuss your faith with people who don't believe in it. In fact, it's encouraged, actually. Yeah, we're uh, we're commissioned to to plant, right? Not necessarily harvest. Right. Does that help? Gabriel? Yeah, 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 it does. Absolutely. Um, uh, I just kind of uh, um, feel guilty almost. And, and I don't want to say guilty. Well, I guess, you know, trying to defend. I mean, I don't feel guilty. I just, I feel bad that, um, uh, I don't know. Um, when you hear about all of, when you hear about all the people and how strange ideas they have about various things. You feel bad. (laughs) God bless you. We appreciate the phone call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. Next up is Alex in Melbourne, Florida, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Alex, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Well, good afternoon, Father Brian. I have a... uh, I I just... uh, Because of the parable where where Jesus is talking about the wedding feast, and the, uh, he invites certain people, certain people reject the invitation, and he sends the servants out to reach out for more people, and then the, um, you know how the church is embracing ecumenism, and everyone's called to the faith, and God's our Savior. So then the one guy gets there, and he gets thrown out because he got the wrong garment. Um, just have trouble with that parable because well, I, I don't know. I'm judging. Well, it's because you you don't understand it in the context. The wedding feast, where everybody's invited to the wedding, the wedding feast first of all invites the leadership of Israel, the Pharisees, and then the Jews, but they don't want to come for various reasons. So, since and they all have excuses. So, in other words, the Jews will reject Christ. Once the Jews reject Christ, then he still wants people to go to heaven. So they go out into the highways and byways, which uh, would be the Gentiles, and they try to get them all to come in because salvation is given not only to the Jews, but eventually also to the Gentiles. And uh, it's graphically shown in one version of the parable, remember, where he invites them to come, and they reject the king. And then, you know, they they reject his son and all these things, and uh, they reject everybody, practically, that's invited. So those who've been invited won't taste of the supper because they refuse to give themselves to it. And therefore, the Lord wants everyone 
to participate, and that's the meaning of the person who comes without the wedding garment to the supper. Does that help some, Alex? Because he wasn't properly prepared to receive? Wasn't properly prepared to receive, exactly. God bless you, Alex. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Probably time to squeeze in a couple more phone calls at 833-288-3986. Becky wants to know, if a person does a sincere, good confession and penance before dying, will they still be judged for their sins after death? Well, no, because their sins are forgiven. No, they won't be judged for their sins. Their sins are forgiven. And we have to have great trust and faith. But God, look, Catholics drive me nuts. <laughs> because everything for them is about being, you know, whether their sins are forgiven or not. Well, if you've lived a good life, if you try to be a loving person, and also if you confess your sins, of course you're going to go to heaven. And of course... The only time they'll be remembered in a way is at the end of time. Now, of course, there's an individual judgment given to each person, but if your sins are forgiven, that would include the grace of forgiveness, of conversion, like St. Paul had. Just imagine uh, St. Paul had persecuted the church. What happened to him when he died? Well, the lack of persecution of the church and the lack of conversion will just redound to God's glory who brought it about. And that's what we should emphasize, the glory of God and his uh, desire for our uh, being united with him for all eternity. And at the end of time, there'll be a second judgment in which everything that was good and evil that a person did will be proclaimed to the whole assembled creation. For those for whom it's led to conversion, it will add to God's glory. But for those who it's caused to be more wicked, everyone will know their wickedness, and the fact that it's known will add to it. So, yes, of course your sins are forgiven, and you must stop worrying about that. I know that's hard easy to say, I mean, I'm pretty much approaching death myself. <clears throat> I'm pretty old, and uh, it's, it's sobering to think of your life. And yet, by the same token, you can't live your life over again. You did what you could do, and you tried to love God, and you tried to confess your sins as best you're able of the places where you haven't loved God. So have faith in the fact that God wants you to live with him forever. He doesn't want you to go to hell. That's our choice. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Jennifer is a first-time caller in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jennifer, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Father. Um... We have a small, close family, and um, a cousin is getting married in June. Uh, They're Catholic. Um, I have two young kids, and so I'm a little bit sensitive to exposing them to a marriage. Um, It's going to be hosted outside in a campground, and um, 
the, I guess, the uncle of one of the people getting married has gotten some kind of certificate online. He's also Catholic, by the way. Um, and he's going to officiate in the woods. And then the, the, the sister of one of the individuals getting married, um, I think goes by the term it. And so my husband and I, you know, uh, are are facing a situation where I, I'm not going to go. I mean, that's sort of where we resolved it. God. I wanted to know what the church says, and also, how, how would you recommend interacting with these people, if at all, going forward? It's their chosen pronoun, huh? Wow. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you got to remain friends with your family, uh, but you don't have to approve of what they do. And I'm sure they know that you don't approve of what they do. And this person in your family who's gotten a certificate to perform a marriage is committing a sacrilege, by the way. Because they're they're acting like a, a witness in the church does, uh, which would be a priest or a deacon normally. Um, and they can't do that. So um, as for the couple, well, that's their problem. But... Um, there, you're right not to want to go because you're basically just justifying all this nonsense, this woke nonsense of today when it comes to marriages. So uh, what I would say is just try to remain friendly with them. You know, you can go have dinner together or you can, you know, go on hikes together. I don't know, whatever you do as a family but not when it comes to religion. And it, it may be the case that when you reach, when they reach the age where they can understand, you may have to try to explain to your children why you disagree with it. Does that help you, Jennifer? Yeah, that, that definitely helps. And I just add one thing. My girls are relatively young, but unfortunately in today's society, we've already had start having this kind of conversation. I wouldn't have dreamt it that I would be doing this, you know, five, ten years ago. But, um, nor would I. It, nor would I. Schools and otherwise, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Father. I appreciate surely, your, your help. Um, Landon writes in, Father, he wants to know, this is an interesting question, before the fall, was the Garden of Eden and the state of Adam and Eve the same as it will be in heaven? Well, there won't be a garden in heaven. <laughs> and no, Adam and Eve Adam and Eve had faith before the fall. It's true they had a very developed faith, but they didn't see God. And so heaven is a totally different experience. They also don't have a resurrected body. Uh, and so there won't be any need for a garden anymore um, because you have a resurrected body. The garden is an attempt to demonstrate the fact that man is at peace with nature because he's at peace with himself, because he's at peace with God. So there won't be any physical nature after death, but there will be spiritual nature and our benevolence toward everything that God has created as he created it. And Paul writes in, did St. Thomas teach that God loves some people more than others? Well, the church generally teaches that, you know. 
because no one will ever be as loved by God as the Blessed Virgin. So obviously there are levels in heaven and it's not a democracy, all right? And they're determined by how much you've loved God. So that's the call, what they call the principle of merit. So uh, how much you merit is due to how much you love. And um, obviously there are people that love God more than others do. That's why in my house there are many mansions. And then finally today, Sam writes in, if baptism removes original sin and both parents are baptized, how is it transmitted to their children? The transmission of baptism is a very mysterious thing. The traditional explanation is that original sin, remember, isn't an act. It's a sin of nature, which means that people are born into the world without something they should have. That's to say, grace. Uh, it's transmitted, therefore, by propagation. So everybody who's materially connected with Adam, this is why we're so big on uh, you know, primogeniture and things like that, everybody who's materially connected with Adam inherits the original sin. But St. Thomas and many others have taught that should God create uh, a man from the earth again like he did in the case of Adam and Eve, in other words, not by sexual intercourse, then uh, they would not inherit the original sin. It has to be by material connection. So that brings us to the close of another edition of EWTN's Open Line Thursday. If you'd like to leave a question for Father Milady, you can do so after 4 p.m. Eastern Time any day by calling our regular toll-free number 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, uh, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until we get together then, God bless.